push on someone who doesn't have the strength to push back, they topple them. If they try to just kind of stand on their own, they're pretty weak and they're going to topple on their own. But when they have strong people, whether it's in a life team like you mentioned, or a coach, they're going to just be so much stronger. So the question is, are they enough? Yes. But I would ask, are they actually reaching their potential? Hey there, consultant in the coach community. Today we have a very, very special podcast. This is the very first interview we have done on the Consultant and the Coach podcast. I have executive coach Rebecca Cook with us today, and uh, she has a brand new book that is dropping on January 5th. Go out and get it. But in the meantime, listen to our latest episode on an interview with Rebecca Cook, executive coach. Hey, Rebecca, welcome to the Consultant and the Coach podcast. Excited to have you. Thank you, Eric. I'm glad you invited me. Hey, let me let me do a little bio. This is this is cool, and I just love saying uh, emotional epidemiologist. But we'll talk about that. So, uh, Rebecca Cook, your emotional epidemiologist and executive coach. Um, I wrote down your dynamic speaker. I love listening to you. Uh, we met the two of us met. We met at Townsend Institute. It, at the Townsend Institute at Concordia University in California, where I'm getting my master's in executive coaching and consulting. Uh, you are the owner of Greenboat Coaching. Uh, you are an APC coach. You have your master's degree in public health from St. Louis University. Uh, you coach your daughter's softball team and you speak three languages, Spanish and German. You work internationally. Uh, you're also really, really cool. So did I say that correctly? Did I miss anything? I don't know if you got enough of the reallys in there. Really, really, really cool. You are really, really cool. And we'll get into this later. The reason why you're really cool is you're down to earth. People who just aren't real drive me nuts. And when we talk, when we coach, when we just talk life, you're like, yeah, this is what it's like. And I like that because as leaders and as coaches, we can't, get to the base and work on things unless we know what we're dealing with. Is that correct? Absolutely. And that realness is all of the good and all of the bad. It's the story of my life. It, it thoroughly is. So, um, so there's something big coming out on January 5th, whether people listen to the podcast today or after January 5th, uh, you are going to be a published author a new book coming out, and uh, the book is called, oh, I just wrote it down. I'm sorry. I forgot it already. Um, oh, here it is. Yeah, there, there it is. Stuck, Strained, Stressed, Real Stories About Shifting Your Mindset to Overcome Challenges. Um, it's coming out January 5th, and anyone who uh, listens to this, if you want to know where, well, A, you can just Google it, but B, it's on Amazon.com. I checked it, and that's cool. So, um Before we get into that, emotional epidemiology, what the heck is that? It means I like data. And it means I like all the data. And I don't think we should ignore data. Mm. Key data pieces that are ignored because they're kind of soft. And most people who like data don't like soft things. No, they don't. Yeah. So So emotions are this key piece of data that most people say, ooh, what's that? Or that's bad. Or let's just ignore that. 
and they miss out on so much. But when you have the, the data, whether it's qualitative or quantitative or emotions, you have a good idea of what is in front of you and that allows you to make choices. Then you have agency. So I love to play devil's advocate. Some people are worried about data because they're worried about the data and what it might you know, show. So let's say I'm coming to you. Hey, Rebecca, I'm, you know, I kind of like what you're saying. You know your stuff, but I'm worried about the data. What, what would you say to me? Tell me more about the data you're concerned about. What if people don't like me? What if people don't like you? Mm, that's possible, Eric. It no. could be possible that people don't like you. You know, you're probably not for everyone. And I wonder why these people's opinion are so important to you. So here, you just jumped into coaching with me. <laughs> but yes, maybe they don't. Mm -hmm. And it's possible. And Eric, you just tied in exactly to the reason why I wrote the book. Oh, why? Because your question is, am I enough? Am I enough for people to like me? Mm -hmm. And the question is, well, for some people you are, for some people you're not, but what is it to be enough to be liked by some people? Because there's going to be limits as to who likes you and who doesn't. And at some point you have to say, okay, this is going to be enough. Oh, I love that, Rebecca. And I'll tell you why I like that. I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. So I, I'm, I'm also an, in addition to executive coach, I'm a CEO and we have, I have like up to 70 people underneath me. And here's the, here's the backstory. I have a team member who just randomly quit. We've invested into this person for like a full year. And I, I understand people, people will quit from time to time. And I, I'm like, Hey, Hey bud, I heard you quit. That's, that's too bad. I, I really like the guy. Amazing guy. And I'm like, where are you going? He goes, I don't have another job lined up. I said, my response was people who quit without having another job lined up, they're kind of a dumbass. And I was like, oh, but evidently I offended him. And so help me enough. Should I, I have hear, said that? Or well, I hear that you felt confused, Eric. I was very confused because I'm like, I don't mind if you leave us, but here I had just given him a huge raise and he had done and I see where he's going and, and he just quits. He runs. I'm confused. What's up with that? So what I hear, I hear that you're confused because you have values in place mm -hmm. that seem you, you fulfilled all of your values and apparently they weren't his own values. Yeah. And there's a confusion. And so when you went to him, the assumption was he had the same values you had. And the assumption too was that he was going to something that was different and better. So a value you have. Yeah, absolutely. So instead of asking, uh, why did you leave us and what's next? Where are you going? Tell me about what, what happened. Tell me about why you're not here. Mm -hmm. Tell me. And so then you give him space to express Ooh. what's going on. So instead of calling, using the words, let's say I call them a fool. That's more politically correct. I should have said, hey, tell me, hey, hey, buddy, t tell me why you decided to put your two weeks in. So you're saying that would have been better? 
or help me understand. Help me understand what's what's causing you to move on. I think you're fantastic. I think you're a great fit with this company. So much so, I just gave you a raise because yeah. I value you. And that's how I try to show that I value you. And you're moving on. Help me understand. Help me understand. Because right now, I'm making up a story that says you don't like me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't like me. You don't like our company. You don't like this. You don't like that. And that's what I hear. So then, should so if I were talking and so people are listening to this, they're thinking, oh, I've done that too. I've called my employees X, Y, or Z. So <laughs> what what if they really don't like me? It's possible. Do, do I tell I, them that? Is that what I do, or what, what do I what do I do? Do you tell them that, or do they tell you that? Tell me. Uh, it, it's a, I would say it's assumed. None of that's come out. It's assumed that they don't like you. Well, yeah. my question is, do they need to like you in order to do the job? No, they don't. Okay. Why does it matter to you whether they like you personally, Eric? It doesn't matter if they like me, but some of the reasons our company has, has our company has just knocked it out is our team members care. They've got to love the company and our team members and our customers because that's what makes us who we are. So one of the chief values of your organization is connection. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so if someone is disconnected, they're not really in line with your team values. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, even though they do their job well, they're not really contributing to the organizational culture, which is so key to you being who you are and being as successful as you are. Absolutely. It's all about connection. Did I say that right? I think so. That's good. So congratulations, Eric. You should be an executive coach. Or, or I should hire you. I, it's nothing I did. It's you, you just walked me through that, but that's what you do as an executive coach, isn't it? It is absolutely helping people make sense of the data in front mm-hmm. of them and to recognize the stories they're making up. And a lot of those stories they make up before they even know what they are, which is why it's so important to pay attention to the emotion because the emotion is that like shortcut. It's the emotional shortcut that is made that makes all this sense and creates this story that has not necessarily anything to do with actually what's happening. It's just all of the person's history, shortcut, and then there's an emotion. So that's why you pay attention to that emotional data. Mm, That's, so what would be the data? Let's just use that as an example. So what's the data that I would be, we'd be looking at? The data you'd be looking at for yourself is you felt confused. Uh And then you made a story. Uh You were confused and you made a story, but then taking that story back and checking it with him. But then there's another piece of, it really mattered to me that he liked me or didn't like me. And so that goes into organizational culture Mm -hmm. because your organizational culture is really, really important, but that can even be divided out between, is it about him liking me specifically, or is it about him being deeply connected and rooted to the organization and pulling all together? I'm tracking with you. And part of it is, like I said earlier, it's not that he likes me, but you got to enjoy the company. Cause I mean, we have 70 people. There are some people that are not going to like one another for various reasons, but when we're part of the organization, we have to be able to connect and figure out what that is. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So what's enough? That, that's your chapter in this book. You say, okay, enough. Why'd they ask you to write? I mean, you must be an expert. Hey, re- hey, Rebecca, we're going to, why, why enough? Well, when I was presented with the opportunity to write the chapter, we were asked to specifically give a personal example of something we've worked through. So the question is, Rebecca, when have you experienced not being enough? Mm-hmm. And I very much have experienced that. And then what strategy did I walk through it? And I, I chose to use this story and everybody, so wide open, everybody has their stuff. Everybody has areas they struggle in. But when someone struggles with the topic of enough, it usually falls into one of three categories. Am I enough? Do I do enough? Or do I have enough? And it's usually two of those that people struggle with more than the other. For me, it would be, am I enough? Okay. And do I have enough? Doing enough? That doesn't really bother me so much. That That's not something that bubbles to the surface for me, but it does for some people. And it, and it does always at some level. So the question was, do I, am I, am I enough? And do I have enough? And so the story I share in the book is one where my husband and I got married. And all of a sudden we were combining two households and I spent absolutely way too much time on a cheese grater, trying to decide if I should keep these two separate cheese graters. Altogether, way too much time on thinking about cheese graters. <laughs> and in, in the story, I talk about a wire cheese grater. I don't know what kind of cheese grater you get, Eric. Do you, do you have a cheese grater preference or a cheese slicer preference? One that's I can find. That's all I care yeah. So my husband had a wire cheese slicer. I had a cheese plane. It's metal and it cuts. That's what I grew up with. That's what I like. Oh, I like those. Those are good ones. Uh-huh. I think they're great. I think they're the better one. But I sat there saying, what's this? Well, maybe I don't know how to use this one with the wire. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And should I keep both? But then if you keep both, you can't find them because there's too much in your drawers and you, you keep everything. And so I had to make decisions of, do I keep it or not? And if I pass it on, can I, can I buy another one? What if my cheese slicer breaks? Eric, that's less than a $5 decision. It is. And it was utilizing all of my frontal cortex and all of my great thinking skills on a $5 cheese slicer. <laughs> what a waste. <laughs> And so I realized I needed to be willing to accept a limit that I have a limited amount of space in my house and I don't need to have one of everything and I can say no. So my, the limit of space and capacity led to strategizing, making a choice and saying, I value this and I don't value this. So I'm going to, I'm going to value the thing I know how to use. And I'm going to also hold space for, if I need this other thing, I can go buy it later and it's okay. And it's enough to have one cheese plate. I like that. So how do we know what to apply this to? So when, when, you know, obviously we're talking cheese slicers, cheese graters. What does that, what, what can that be applied to? 
Thank you. Yes. So I wrote about a cheese plane because that same that same story happens with people I work with, but it just happens to not be a cheese plane. So I remember working with an entrepreneur who had their own business. It was a physician. And the question was around, I don't have enough time. I can't do the things I want. I am not enough. I, I, there is not enough of me to do this work. And in it, it became, it was already at the point of, I don't think I should do this at all because I am not enough. As I, I spent about a year working with this person and as we started to examine it, recognized that in her mind, it was only face-to-face -face time directly with patients that she considered to be work, which is not accurate because running a private practice is a whole lot bigger than just face-to-face -face time. And so she believed that she was not enough because she couldn't have face-to-face -face time with her clients and do all the supporting paperwork and insurance processing in all of that in a normal work time. So she, she had to reset her schedule. She had to recognize that she was limited. And when she recognized her limits, she was then able to strategize how she was actually going to use her time. So what was that? What was, did she have an aha moment or what, how'd that come down? You just, that makes complete sense to me, but how does someone that brilliant get stuck like that? The same way I got stuck on a $5 cheese plane. Mm. The same way you got stuck with, does he like me? You made a connection in your brain mm. and your brain just stays there. And it, it loops, our brains loop and loop and loop until we get a way out. And so, so often that way out is when we actually process and you can process by writing, you can process with another person, which is why coaching is so helpful is someone else can see the loop because when we are in a loop, we're just looping. I like to tell people they're loopy. It's true. <laughs> we, we just totally, loop and we loop and, totally we, loop true, and yeah. we can't even see that we're in a loop, much less find a way out. One of the things now I'm going to push our pro, we both went to the Townsend Institute. Mm -hmm that is so brilliant and actually why I went there instead of a number of other places is they understand the role of community mm -hmm. and which is why coaching is so imperative. And so not only am I a coach, I have a coach because it is that vital. And not only do I have a coach, I have a life team full of people that, Hey, Eric, you're spiraling or Hey, Eric, you really need X. Is yeah. That true. Absolutely. Why, why, why do, why, let's pick on me. You're good at picking on me. Why do I need a coach? Because you need people outside you who can give you a different perspective. And you need people outside you who can come alongside you and say, hey, Eric, even though you're loopy and you're spiraling, we still love you. Mm -hmm. We still care for you. And you still have worth and value even when you're loopy. Which is true. That's totally true. And uh, my buddies and I, we talk, it's it's lonely when you're at the top of, you know, 
whether it's a lot or not a lot, 70 people that I oversee, that's, it's kind of lonely at the top. It's nice to have people outside the organization to, am I crazy? And, you know, 60 people in my organization, we don't agree with this decision, but I've talked to other high, high-end executives like, oh, that's the right decision. And there's also a thing of, you need to be in community with people that are like you at your level. And I think that's what executive coaching uh, allows for. Absolutely. When you told your story earlier about having someone who had moved on, who didn't like you, it reminded me of another senior leader that I worked with. This senior leader had a second in command right under them and was really stressed because she felt like that second in command didn't like her and was undermining her and, 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 and. but she then projected that. And it was true, by the way, was true. That person was, she, uh, then the senior leader was projecting that on everybody else in the organization. And she became paranoid, not clinically paranoid. We don't do that as coaches, <laughs> but, but she was paranoid that everybody hated her. And so as she would walk down a hallway and if people stopped talking, immediately she had the emotional response of, oh my goodness, they're talking about me. They don't like me. Uh And she needed someone to come alongside her, which is what I did as a coach, to come alongside her to distinguish reality. And then how how do you lean into what's true and what's not? And then once you're able to figure that out, how do you, how do you test what's accurate or not accurate? Then what are your next steps? So sometimes people don't like you accurate, but just because one person doesn't like you doesn't mean everybody doesn't like you. And and that's true. And I love, and I can look into my 20 something years or when I was a 20 year old, 20 to 29. And I, I, I bring that up for men because our brain's not fully developed. So, and it's only because I've had a lot of great coaches and a lot of great mentors that have walked me through the process that are like, oops, I made a mistake. And my thoughts were here and most of them were valid, but there were a few knocking me out of line. I, that's what a good coach does, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. A coach can do that. A mentor can do that. Someone who is for you and on your side. And Eric, I just want to affirm your wisdom in in finding mentors to walk alongside you, to to keep you in line and help you move forward instead of getting stuck in a spiral um, that can sometimes go downhill. So good job. I've I've never seen a whirling dervish with a clean room or a great business. It's just not a good thing. So tell me, um, as you're talking with leaders, what's, the, what's some of the most common things that you run into? Because they're obviously bright and brilliant and really good at business or whatever they're leading. They wouldn't get there. But so why do some brilliant leaders need coaches? Aren't they good enough? Your book's enough. Is that not enough? Why do they need coaches? They need coaches because we are not meant to be alone. And just like you talked about earlier, we need to have people come alongside us to bounce ideas off of. I think about it often, like who do we lean against? And 
when you have a strong leader, if they push on someone who doesn't have the strength to push back, they topple them. If they try to just kind of stand on their own, they're pretty weak and they're going to topple on their own. But when they have strong people, whether it's in a life team, like you mentioned, or a coach, they're going to just be so much stronger. So the question is, are they enough? Yes. But I would ask, are they actually reaching their potential? And when you have people come alongside you as a coach, as a mentor, as a life team, as all of these things, you're much more likely to reach your potential. And when I say reach your potential, I don't mean that in, oh, now you've done this great thing, but are you living into the fullness of who you were created to be, which also brings great joy. Oh, it does. Yes. Well, and, so, as, business, and, and as business leaders also, we, uh, we're here to make money and, you know, can I vacuum every night yeah, I can. I'd save a little money, but by investing in a really great custodian, I don't have to do that. And I can do other things to generate more income. And so I think a lot of times as leaders, we can say, okay, where do I want to go into and how do I want to multiply myself? And a coach can really help with that. Consultant can too, but you know, it's, it's a both and if we've realized that I'd say, hey, Rebecca, my passion is teaching others and coming up with new processes. If you were coaching with me, you might say, well, Eric, then why are you spending all this time vacuuming or inputting faxes or something very immediate? And not that those jobs aren't good, but it's not what I was designed to do. Not what you were designed to do. And not only that, you're taking away that job from somebody else who was designed to do that, who can provide that value. So not only are you not self-actualizing, you're preventing somebody else from self-actualizing, which is yeah. not so fun. Mm -hmm. What what questions should people ask coaches that they're not currently asking? them? The question that people should ask coaches that they're not currently asking. I think there may be confusion about what a coach does. And you kind of hit on it when you talked about a coach does that and a consultant can do that. So I had a public health consulting company that I worked with for about 18 years from my world of public health as an epidemiologist and a behavioral scientist, analyzing surveys, telling people, this is what you're going to do. This is what's going to be most helpful for you as a consultant. I didn't like that, Eric. And I didn't like it because I think people are experts in themselves. And so I think oftentimes people don't ask a coach or recognize the value of a coach because they may not be so sure that they are enough yet <laughs> to have someone develop them, to help someone blossom them to know that they can be so much more or they're afraid they're prideful if they say I can I can be more but as as a coach I I help that person develop into the fullness of who they can be recognizing they are the expert in them I'm the expert in change and when we come together we can bring them the change that they want so would you say like a consultant you know just kind of give you a template here's here are the three steps to a better organization. Whereas a coach, you're coming alongside saying, yeah, actually, let me help you. But I think you actually already have the template inside of you. Let me draw it out. 
Did I say that right? Let me draw it out. And sometimes you might need a mentor. Absolutely. And sometimes you may need a mentor to go to and say, hey, what templates did you use? Which is research. Yeah. <laughs> Epidemiologist, go do some research. Go find a mentor. Go look at these other plans. A consultant can do that. Let, let's find someone who's done this before, but you are the expert in the exact thing that you are working on. And none of these templates are going to fit you all that well without creativity. And until you can believe you are enough to change a template, I mean, really, who are you to change what all these experts have said? Well, you're enough. <laughs> you're enough and you have the capacity and the interest and the expertise to do this thing, this new thing. Because when you apply a template into a new area, it is a new thing that you have created. Yeah, you're exactly right. And now we, we both work out of the same format is, you know, there's, there's a competency side of things, but then there's also a character component. And that's, uh, that's why I get alongside. That's why I get along with you so well is we see things, Hey, there is a, everyone knows that there's competency in whatever you're doing. You have to be competent, but without the character side of things. And then also I'd throw in the third C of community, man, you know, we're a rocket ship going to the moon. Once you Absolutely. get those three, once you get those three working together, eh? Yes, 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 yes. So you said something to me earlier. You said the whole leader needs to be considered. I love that quote that you said, but why? Again, my public health hat, it's called a socio-ecological framework. <laughs> I was like a history major. That just went way over my head. What, what does that mean? Socio means the sociology, the people, all of the relationships, socio-ecological. So ecology, what are all the interconnected relationships? And a framework is that recognition that not only is there a person, there's a person who's connected to their work, to their neighborhood, to their environment, and then they're living in a country that has laws and policy. Talking about a vaccine mandate, that impacts the individual. It's a, a policy that can be a national or a work level, but it impacts an individual. And so we are all interconnected. And to deny the interconnectedness <laughs> ignores the impacts of all these things on our lives. So the whole leader going both outward and then inward as well, which some of that is the character or the voices in our head that say, hey, hold on to your $5 cheese slicer. If you can look at the whole person in who they are inside and who they are outside, then you can start looking at different places to create change because it's not always just right here. Sometimes it's changing the environment that a person is in in order to create further changes. And you've worked internationally. I mean, obviously you speak English, but you speak, you're fluent in Spanish, you're fluent in German, you've traveled a lot. So not only have you seen things from a public health and you're trained in psychology with executive coaching and consulting, but you can throw in this other cultural component. How does that play in with everything? What, what have you figured out with that? So different cultures handle things differently. There's a book I adore called The Culture Map, and it talks about eight different topics that cultures tend to 
behave very differently. I think the easiest one and one that I struggle with culturally is time. How the uh, typical American culture handles time and how someone who grew up on the Texas-Mexico border handles time tends to be different. Now, I've lived in the Midwest for a good while and I've pretty much made that cultural shift, but time is something different. How we give feedback to one another is different by the culture. And so if someone comes in to a culture, assuming this, and this is actually happening, there's a lot of confusion. And the the connections, the emotions that are aroused, and the stories that are created are all different because the expectations are different. Our, Our backgrounds create different stories and different assumptions about what's happening around us. And so when people do work cross-culturally, it's so important to say, hey, I noticed, or would you tell me, I I noticed this, would you tell me about it? Because in my background, this is typically what that means. And that seems strange. Could, Could you help me understand? Absolutely. I was working with a Southeast Asian leader and who's also an introvert. And in the conversation, there was this recognition of when this person is at the leadership table, they rarely speak. So she's in her culture, those at the highest power position are always given the floor to speak. And you are not invited to speak until later if you are of a lower power position. So she kind of kept waiting for someone to invite her to speak. And she was never invited, but she was working with a different cultural understanding of how she needed to show up and add an introverted nature. And it made it more difficult to actually speak because that was kind of who she was inside. She tended to, to process internally before speaking. That made it hard as well for her. And I, I love what you say, because, you know, our company, we have a number of team members in the Philippines. And I've done that. I've said, I've Ooh. noticed you don't speak up. I said the same thing. Is it because you don't? Have, oh, no, we have things to say. And actually, here are the answers to the problems you guys were talking about. And I was like, well, why don't you tell me about them? Well, now that you've said it, I will tell you about them. And they did. And they have the solution. And sometimes it's literally as simple as saying, hey, do you have a, do you have a suggestion? Oh, yeah, here it is. And this is how we fix it. Every time they do that, it saves me like lots of money. And so as leaders, if we can do that, not only is it a better environment, every time it's like lots of money. It's wonderful. So it's a both and, and, you know, they'll miss sometimes and say, you know, this is why, and some are really smart and creative and others are not. But if we can figure that out as leaders, A, it's uh, encouraging, but it's a more fun place to work and you make way more money. You value money. Well, you, you want to be compensated for what you work. Absolutely. You bring it up a lot. And so I, I hear the value placed on that, which is a very common um, American value to hold up and above everything else. So for me, it's my third, it's my third motivator. It's not number one. I have a number one, I have a secondary, it's my tertiary. So the the eight motivators, it would be number three. So say that again, my it, internet cut out. Briefly. Yeah, it would be my number three. I, I, I do things in terms of motivators or seven to okay. eight motivators that drive all team members and employees 
there's a primary, secondary, tertiary. My tertiary is monetary, but it's not number one or two. So, but as a leader, I'm always thinking with a monetary hat because yeah, if you drop money on coaching, what's my ROI? It better pay for itself. Um, Current research says it's about seven times a return on the investment, which is pretty great. I Especially would say it's, I would say it's your organization 10 for a good coach and it costs you money for a bad coach. So what other, what other things should, you know, what do you want to share? Any other things on your heart? I mean, I wish Eric would have asked me this question. Well, I think the biggest thing is when people are experiencing not enough, that they recognize it and recognize that that is a normal challenge that they are not, not enough all by themselves. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of other people who are experiencing the same thing. And as we get connected and bring that forward, it helps take away the shame that, that is associated with the, I'm not enough. And then when we get past that shame, we're actually able to accept the, the limits that are there because we are all limited. And then we're able to strategize and strategy gives way for creativity. And when we're creative, we can solve problems, which is fun. It's a lot of fun. Good, good, yeah. good. So, hey, so if someone wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to contact you? Rebecca at greenboatcoaching.com, but you have to spell my name right. Oh, yes. And it is R-E-B-E-K-A- no H, no C's, R-E-B-E-K-A at greenboatcoaching.com is the easiest way to find me or greenboatcoaching.com. You can look at my website, learn a little bit about me, connect, buy the book. The book's going to be awesome. There's it 20 other be. coaches' stories, not just mine. Mine's great. but there's And 20 all those links will be in the show show notes below. So that if, if you're on the, you know, YouTube, you name it, just click it. And then you don't have to type Rebecca and you could just go to Greenboat Coaching and then, oh, I want to... You know, 30 minutes of coffee with green, you know, Rebecca, which is just awesome. Mm -hmm. Do it. Thank you. Yeah, you betcha. So thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was really fun to share about the book and to share about enoughness. Awesome. Well, hey, sounds good. All the best to you, my friend. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And let me, let me show that book one more time. Yeah, pop that That up. That is just so fun. Stuck, screened, and stressed. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you, Rebecca. I want to give a shout out to Rebecca for taking time out of her busy schedule to interview on the Consultant the Coach podcast. If you haven't already, go down to the show notes and click on uh, the Amazon.com link and pick up her latest book that she just talked about on Enough. What does it mean to be enough? So not like enough in terms of like, hey, I've had enough, but enough. When is that enough? So a huge shout out to Rebecca. Also, her contact information for Greenbelt Consulting is on the link and reach out to her. Uh, She is one heck of an executive coach. Thanks for listening to the Consultant of the Coach podcast and until next week.